For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist. And in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. What's going on, everyone? Happy New Year, and welcome to episode one of season two of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is my Q&A show. I use this show to share my 25 plus years of experience, and I try to answer any question, any DJ-related question that I can possibly answer. At the same time, this is educational for me as well. Just by reading some of the questions, it sparks me to actually think about those topics because there's definitely a lot of topics that I never thought about before. That's because every DJ situation is different. So I love the chance to learn something new. And when I get questions that I do not have the answer to, I will not try to answer those questions. I will just let you know I don't know, but I will try to find out. Now, as usual, I take my questions from Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to ask a question for a future episode, just hit me up on IG. The handle on social media is DJTLM everywhere. Uh, You can send me a DM, but I will drop a weekly post where I'm asking specifically for questions for the Share the Knowledge podcast. So make sure you follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best place to reach me, to catch me, and all of that. So... I have questions for this episode, first episode of the new year, 2019. It's going to take a second to get used to saying that, 19, but that's what it is. Uh, On this date, I do want to give a shout out to my homie Brainpower. At the end of last year, two days ago, we actually celebrated the fact that we've been touring for 20 years. So we've been doing shows together since 1998. Eight. So we're into year 21 now. We already have like three and a half thousand shows that we did together and many more to come. So I just wanted to salute you, homie, to start this episode. Now, as usual, for all my information, make sure you check out djtlm.com and uh, find me on social, the handle is djtlm. But if you're checking out my YouTube channel for all my video content, you go to djtlm TV on YouTube. All right, so without further ado, let's get into the first question of the episode, episode one, season two, share the knowledge podcast for DJs. Let's go. Now, the question is, do you believe that a pro DJ should be able to match the BPM to the very, very exact point? of the BPM every time. So basically the question is, should a professional DJ be able to beat match and get it synced perfectly every time? Uh, No, that's a simple answer, no. There's not really a reason to do that. And what I mean by that is, and I know this is gonna be a little bit different depending on the genres that you play. With certain genres, you probably do have longer transitions where you might have two tracks playing together for 16 or 32 bars. Now, even in that case, they don't have to be synced perfectly. It could be like a slight bit off and you'll just adjust that during the transition. A little nudge here and there will keep it in line. But For me, when it comes to my mixes, most of my mixes, most of my transitions won't be longer than eight bars. If I have them matched pretty well, so it's not gonna be 100% perfect, they will stay synced for eight bars. I won't have an issue with that. Now, a lot of times, I don't even have it synced that perfectly, uh, and I actually have to give it a little nudge here and there. 
I don't care. I play on the fly. I mix on the fly. I don't spend too much time to get the beach ma beats match perfectly. So when I have one track playing, I'll cue the next track. I'll, I'll start to play it. I'll hear if it's playing too fast or too slow. I'll adjust the tempo, give it a couple of nudges, see if I can keep it playing in sync for at least a couple of bars. When I get to that point, for me, most of the times, that's good enough. Then I know I'm going to be able to make a clean transition. Now, when I get to the transition point, it's not like you have both tracks playing at full volume with full EQ. So most likely, I'm bringing in a new track, and I'll adjust that EQ so probably the bass, the low end, is going to be taken out, and the original track will still have full bass, or it's the other way around. I'll bring in a new track with all the bass and take the bass out of the other one. Uh, but you're going to adjust the EQ to get a more nice match sonically. So that alone will eliminate some of the things that you could hear if they're not playing in perfect sync. Now, besides that, I'm making sure that the drums will sound as clean as possible. And by listening, I can tell like, okay, it's losing that sync a little bit. Give it one nudge and then I'll have it playing, well, good enough again. Now, if you do those longer transitions, you might want to spend a little bit more time to get them synced the right way, to get them really playing at the same speed. Um, is that going to be perfect? Probably isn't, but it's going to be close enough to keep them playing together in sync for a longer amount of time. And even then, you always make sure that you continue to listen to hear if they actually stay in sync. Now, if we're talking about playing live music, so music that's being played by live musicians on record, old soul, funk, you name it, anything that included a whole band going into the studio and actually playing the instruments, then you're going to be dealing with BPM that's fluctuating, so it's not staying at the same BPM. In those cases, you're not even talking about mixing them perfectly. That's not possible. If you have two tracks that both have a fluctuating BPM, so they're, let's say they're 100 BPM, during the time you play that track, it's going to be a little bit faster, a little bit slower, because that drummer is not as perfect as a drum machine. So sometimes the speed will go up and down a little bit. If you have two tracks that both do that, they're not going to be in perfect sync. But even then, if you use your ears and adjust accordingly, you can make sure that you still get a nice transition. So even professional DJs don't really have to worry about that. Then, of course, you have a lot of DJs that play electronic music playing tracks that are basically the same BPM or BPM range, sometimes using sync, that's going to make it a lot easier to get like the long transitions where they play in sync perfectly. Um, but that's not something that makes them more professional because a lot of times that's actually easier to do when you're playing than when you're playing different genres. So that's the answer. You don't have to get them perfectly synced to get nice transitions. Hope that helps you out. All right, so for this next question, we're going to stick with BPM for a second. And this question is all about getting stuck in a certain BPM range. So basically, the question from this DJ is, a lot of times when I'm playing nowadays, I feel as if I'm trapped, caught within the BPM, and that the tempo dictates what kind of records I play next. Is there any way that you can kind of break this cycle? So here's the thing. When I started to play digitally, that was basically the first time that I was introduced to 
playing according to BPM. Now, what I mean by that is before that time, I was just using my vinyl. I was beat matching, so I was definitely using the tempo, making sure tracks were playing in sync. But I would never grab a track out of my crates because I knew the BPM. I didn't. Now, in that time, you had DJs that actually would have the BPM written on all of their record sleeves, and I never really understood why they did that until I started to use BPM when I started to play digitally. So for me, when I was using vinyl, it was just all about knowing or feeling which track I wanted to grab next. I would grab that, and on certain occasions, I would grab a track, put it on, cue it, and just hear like, oh, in my mind, it was a different tempo. Now that I'm hearing it, it's not gonna match with the other track at all because it is a totally different rhythm and BPM uh, range. Now, what I discovered when I started to play digitally is that I could also sort my tracks, not just by name, but also by BPM. And that actually introduced me to another way of mixing because if you use the BPM, you're seeing a whole bunch of tracks that will fall in that same BPM range, which basically shows you tracks that are quote unquote easier to mix. You still have to beat match, um, so it's not like it's gonna do it by itself, but you at least know that they're gonna fit tempo-wise. Doesn't mean that they're gonna fit vibe-wise or anything like that, uh, sonically. So if you're using key, that's a totally different thing. But BPM-wise, you're gonna be safe. So a lot of times I'll have my crates, even now in Serato, I'll have them lined up according to BPM. Now, what does happen, I understand what you're talking about, is if you're kind of trapped in that tempo range, um, you can get stuck and forget about totally different tempo ranges or it feels as if you would go to a different type of tempo that it would totally mess up the vibe and you'd rather just play safe and stay within that zone. So in a way, it can affect your creativity. Like I said, when I was playing with vinyl, it was all about the feeling. I would just play a track and once I throw that track in, I get a feeling like, okay, I'm gonna grab this next. So I wasn't stuck looking at the BPM range and seeing tracks within that range because that is the thing. If you do that, you're always gonna see the same type of tracks around the track that you're playing because you're playing using your BPM. Um, now ways to break that. One, I don't know if you're playing digitally, but what you could do and I would definitely practice at home first, if you've been using BPM for a long time, is not to sort your tracks by BPM, but just sort your tracks by name. That's gonna make it a little more difficult, challenge you, because now you have to make sure that you actually know the music that is in your library, or at least that's in that folder. So if you see titles, you in your head at least have to have an idea of how the track sounds and what kind of tempo it is and if it would actually match. Now, you're gonna load that track and find out if it's in the same BPM range or not. If it is, you can mix it. If not, you can't mix it. That does not mean that you can't play it after the other track. And that's a very important thing that I like to mention more often, and that is you don't have to mix everything. So if you're playing in a certain range right now, and you're at a 128, and all the tracks you're playing are 128, 126, 130, all in that same range, you can go to a track that's a totally different tempo, you just don't try to mix it. So if I wanna go from 128 to 95, 
I'm not going to beat match. I'm going to just drop that track on the one probably before I bring it in. I will echo out the other track or just stop it, grab the mic, do something, um, let the crowd sing along to something, then bring in the new track. But that alone allows me to, uh, to switch to a totally different tempo. So besides being stuck within BPM, a more important thing is that a lot of you get stuck into feeling you have to mix everything. Once you start to approach your folders, uh, crates, just your collection, and when you do a set, you're not thinking about that you have to actually beat match and mix every track. It gives you a little more freedom. It opens up the door for new possibilities. So I hope you understand what I mean by that because that truly can help you out. So don't be afraid to Put your tracks in a different order. Practice at home with that. See if you actually know your music because if you know your music, you're gonna be fine. And just know that you do not have to mix everything that might free up your mind as well to try new things. All right, so let's switch from a little bit of that technical stuff and go into a question that has to do with the actual DJ culture, DJ industry, and how software might affect that. So the question I have right here is, in 2018, we saw DJ software start to grab contracts with streaming services to utilize in their software. DJ Pro has Spotify, Virtual DJ has the iDJ pool, uh, Serato now has Tidal and SoundCloud integration. Do you see this having a positive effect on the DJ industry as a whole? Do you see negative repercussions to this? Will this make today's DJ more competitive? I'd love to hear your thoughts and knowledge on how we as DJs can use these streaming services in a positive way while still having originality and style in the work we do for communities and if streaming music is something that's going to drastically change the game and the way we have to DJ. So first of all, the most important thing to me is creativity comes from the person. So it's not about the equipment, it's not about the software, it is about the person. And what I mean by that is you can take 10 DJs, give them a set of turntables and the same creative vinyl, and the results are gonna be different. And that's not about vinyl or technology, I'm gonna give you the same example. You can take 10 DJs, give them a set of CDJs, give them the same flash drive with music, and the results are gonna be different. You can take 10 DJs, give them Serato with a controller or whatever type of device they want to use, give them the same folder in Serato with the same music, the results are going to be different. So what I mean by that is the more creative people will find ways to be more creative with the stuff that they have. That being said, streaming has changed the music industry drastically. That's a fact. A lot of people, a lot of artists are not selling a lot of music anymore like they used to sell albums and the fans would buy the albums. Now a lot of music is being streamed, less albums are being sold, people are making money off streaming, um, more people are able to reach a fan base because they don't have to go through all the trials and tribulations of finding a label that would sign them and you name it, you could make some music today and have it up on Spotify and iTunes, Apple Music, all of that within days. So 
the gatekeepers are kind of gone, meaning there's a lot more music out there. Same with SoundCloud, uh, what people call like SoundCloud rappers and artists, but you have very good ones there as well. Also for DJs and producers dropping all of their new remixes, free remixes on SoundCloud. It has opened the door to uh, spread your music easy or easier. Fact is, a lot of people are doing that, so it is becoming a little bit harder to get noticed. That's a different story, but tech and streaming definitely has influenced the way the music industry works now, that's a fact. Now, as far as DJing, uh, it's not new, so it's not a 2018 thing. Like, I know DJ Pro has Spotify, but DJ, the software, has had Spotify for years. I was using that two, three years ago. So that's not new, it's been there. Uh, my thoughts on that, for me personally, I like it. It's a good option for me for certain events. So the one that I always name is when I'm playing at my son's school, I do that once a year. Those are kids age four to 12. They listen to music that most likely I don't play. A lot of the music I don't play or don't know. Even with the new music that I know from the clubs, that's not the same music that a lot of these young kids are listening to. Now, the last two times I used the controller with DJ and Spotify, they could name any track, I think 99% of the time, maybe 99.9% .9 of the time, I could find that track in Spotify and play it. So for me, for certain events, that is a lifesaver. That is something that totally changed everything for me to play at an event like that. Now, that's not my cup of tea. I only do that for my son, but I could understand that if you're in that industry or if you're a mobile DJ, wedding DJ, DJs who have to play a lot of different styles of music, it is great to actually have an option that would allow you to take most requests and just know that you're gonna be able to find them through the streaming service. So for those DJs, it is definitely gonna be a plus. Now for most club DJs, I don't think it's gonna really influence or change the way they play because a lot of times they're not looking to have everything in their crate anyway. Now I remember quite a long time ago in a video, I was talking about like how in the future, DJs would walk into the club and there would be a setup there and all they would have to do is log into that setup and then it would have access to all of their music um, because it would connect to the cloud, something like that. That's, a, that's something I thought about like a couple of years ago. Basically, you have the same thing going on here because, for instance, if you have Spotify, you have your Spotify playlists, you could go into a club and if they have a setup with Serato, um, or with, with DJ, you could go in there and just log into your account and have your playlists, or if you're using Serato with Tidal, have your playlists. It's cool. To me, it's still a little bit tricky because if the internet connection is not that great, some of these services are not gonna be able to help you. You had other services like Serato used to do with Pulse Locker that would allow you to store offline as well. That's a better option, but Pulse Locker just didn't work that well. So. I think it's a great option to have for certain events. For me personally, I don't think I'd use it a lot unless I'm playing at a gig and there's this track that I really wanna play and I don't have it or somehow I changed some folders and I can't find it on my computer. If I have the option at that point to just click and go to title and get that track and play it, that just made my day. I think that's a good thing. Um, but f like from the standpoint, 
if it's going to change the way we have to DJ, I don't think so. Now, I can understand for some people, um, they might feel that as soon as the consumer gets word that DJs are now able to use Spotify and Tidal and play anything, that some DJs are probably afraid that they're going to get run over and everyone's going to have like tens or hundreds of requests because they know that you have it now. Yes, I can see that. I've also seen jokes that DJs were joking about how now you were going to get every SoundCloud rapper on earth standing next to the booth play my song because they know you have access to SoundCloud now. Um, I understand that, but at the end of the day, you are in charge. I mean, that's still my philosophy. If I'm playing, I'm the one who's in charge. I decide what gets played. Um, I have my opinions about requests. Sometimes they're useful. Most of the times, I'd rather just do my thing. But even if everyone jumps up because they think that you have everything, it's still up to me if I want to play everything or not. And in my case, I definitely don't. Um, look. I'm for technology. I love new technological developments. Uh, like I said, there are certain instances where I think having something like Spotify in your DJ software is amazing and it can totally save the day. Um, but it's not drastically going to change the way DJs play, in my opinion. Now, there's a quick question, and it has to do with Instagram. Now, the question is also from Instagram. And the question is, which program do you use to match the video with the audio when you take an Instagram video? And this person always used a certain software, but it's not there anymore, uh, asking what to use. Now, there's basically a lot of different options out there. You just need some video editing software. And a lot of video editing software will have the option for you to add your own audio. So same thing here. Right now, I'm recording the podcast. I'm also filming the podcast. Now, I'm recording my voice, so the audio, on an external recorder. At the same time, the camera is filming me. It also has audio, but the onboard audio on the camera is just not that great. Same thing if I'm shooting for Instagram, the onboard camera is catching the sound from the room. That's not going to be as great as the sound that's actually being recorded inside Serato. So I end up with an audio file and a video file. Now, you're already familiar with this because you were using software, uh, but basically this thing is the same in any DJ editing software. You take your video file that has audio, but you're not going to use that audio. You're going to use the audio that you recorded separately. I've used Sony Vegas in the past. Now, for the longest time, I've been using Adobe Premiere, but you could use, like I said, most DJ uh, or video editing software. I mean, I have software on my phone, LumaFusion, that does it as well. And I've had different types of software on there as well that could do the same thing. Take a video file, delete the audio from that video, and have a separate audio file there. So just Google video editing software. That should give you a list. And I believe you're looking for free. So Google it. That's the only answer you should actually, I should actually give you. But I wanted to add the explanation for people who don't know that using separate audio a lot of times will give you a better quality video because audio plays an important part of having a good video. All right, so this next question has to do with being creative during your sets and getting bored with doing things the same way over and over. Let's get into that question. 
As a DJ, I wouldn't say I'm a beginner, but I wouldn't say I'm the best. I can read a crowd and rock the party easily on controllers, turntables, CDJs, whatever. But I don't want to bore myself, and every time I try to make my transitions fancier, it's cool, but not like I want it. I guess the question is, what are some transition tricks and tips for a DJ who's well-versed in beat matching and dropping on a one, and I guess I'm having sort of a creative block. So like tone play, do you know a good explanation or example to practice with? Uh, thanks for everything. So here's the thing, because there's a couple of things in this question that I wanna, wanna talk about. So you're not a beginner, but you're not the best. So, cool, so you're, you know how to DJ. That's basically what you're saying. Um, you know how to rock the party, you know how to read the crowd, and you can play on all sorts of devices. So that means that you, your skills are probably up to par right there. Um, the thing is, when I read that next part, that you don't wanna bore yourself, do you actually get bored when you're playing right now? Does that happen? Because I've been playing for 25 plus years, and I still don't get bored while I'm playing. And it's not like I'm doing new or different things every time I'm playing. So for me, it's kind of hard to comprehend. Um, but I guess that depends on how you actually play. I don't know. For me, maybe it's because I play freestyle. That already has you in a certain mindset. Now, you say you read the crowd, so probably you play the same way. So you're reading that crowd. That's number one. Then you have to think of a track to grab. Then I'm grabbing that track, um, whatever I think of, and I make sure I cue it up, get the beats matched, and then I'm good. Or if I'm going to bring it on a one, I get it ready. Now, when I bring it in and a new track is in, a lot of times I have fun with the tracks. So I might double it for a second, so get the same track on both decks, and just maybe just do a little chase or just do a little bit of scratching, backspin a couple of times, and then let it go. Nothing too crazy. I'm not trying to turn this into a turntablism showcase, but putting my little flavor on the way I do uh, my sets. Now again, I'm not doing this during the transition, so I'm not trying to make my transitions fancier like you said. I make a transition just sound good, by having the beats matched and work the EQ the right way. And when the transition is done, then I'll have my extra fun with it. That's what I do most of the times. So I find places where I can add my little two cents, not because I wanna show off, because I like to do that and that is what brings me all the joy. It's great to play music that you love, but if you also get to express yourself on a turntablism level, I love that. So I don't get bored, um, but I don't consider it trying to look for fancy or different ways. You said you're trying different things to make it sound fancier, and it's cool, but it's not like you want it, but how do you want it? How do you envision things to be fancier? I think that's the good thing to look at for yourself. And should the transition be the part that you want to make fancier? The reason I ask that is if you take a regular crowd, they do not really pay attention to transitions. Now, I can't speak for all genres and parties, but if you're playing at clubs, a lot of time the transition is the last thing they're paying attention to. Now, if you mess up your transition, then you might catch a couple of ears going up, eyes going in your direction, but if your transitions are clean, people are not even really gonna notice it. 
So it doesn't matter if you make it more fancier or not. That's one thing you should keep in mind. So if it's for you, I would not look at the transition part itself to be the part where you make it different. I will play more with the records before and after the actual transition. Now you can do things in your transition. If one track is playing and you have an eight bar hook coming up and you do a transition, you start, you bring in a new track and after four bars, you don't totally take the first track out, but you actually start to scratch with it for the next four bars. Then your transition is a little bit different and it's not just a normal transition. Stuff like that is possible. Uh, you could make your own edits where you have acapella beginnings and bring in acapella through the hook. There are things you can do. You can make your own edits if you want to make it more interesting. You can also use DJ Pools and use their edits. Um, maybe that helps you out. Now, um, when it comes to tone play, I'm not a big fan of tone play, to be honest. And the reason why I'm not really a big fan of tone play is because most DJs don't do it right. Some DJs do tone play well, and then it sounds dope. Most DJs do not do tone play well. They find a sound in one track, and then they try to play the melody of the next upcoming track, but half the time the tone is off, or the sound is just in such a different key or, or vibe that it totally doesn't match with the next sound. And yes, half of the times you can hear what they're trying to do, but to me it just sounds horrible if it's not really matching. So if you do tone play, you wanna make sure that it's actually playing in the same key. Some DJs do this, they will do that tone play trick, they'll bring in the new track, and then continue to play, so now you're hearing the new track and their tone play, and it sounds well together, then it's good. But if it doesn't sound well together, because you can just tell like, oh, wait a minute, half of the melody is kind of off, it's the wrong type of key, I don't like that personally. I think, yeah, that's why I typically stay away from it, but there's nothing wrong with tone play uh, if you do it right. I can't really give you an example of what to practice with. You can practice with mostly anything. If you find something like just a, um, an instrument, a tone on a record, something that you can use in different keys, then you can play melodies with it. Now, certain sounds already sound like something else. Um, let me think of one clear example. I forgot which DJ did it. Um, if you took... Fat Joe all the way up, that horn that they used, that horn, I know that sounds horrible. Um, that one had the same tone or is the same type of horn that's also used in, I think, Mi Gente. And I've seen the tone play with that where they were using that, taking parts of the all the way up horn and then played the Mi Gente melody with it. And that actually really sounded the same. So... If something has a certain sound or if it's a certain instrument, maybe it's a good idea to find another track that actually uses that same instrument to make the tone play sound a little bit better. Hope you understand what I'm saying with that. But just to sum it up once again, if you feel that you're getting bored, you have to really take a closer look to see at what it is that actually is boring you. Are you playing the same tracks every time? That can get like a little bit tiring too. 
like I see a lot of DJs, they're just doing the same thing every time they play. I can imagine at a certain point th that's not interesting anymore. I try to stay away from that. I want to make sure that the music that I'm playing is not just rocking that crowd. It's also entertaining me. It gives me a good feeling to hear that out loud. Then I just make sure I get my transitions right. And within that, you have room to play. You can use the EQ in different ways to make your transitions go different. You can use scratches to make the transition sound different. You can make your own edits to make transitions different. But I get most of my extra quote unquote play time on before and after transitions when I do my little scratches or chases or stuff like that. Um, Looking for inspiration, I mean, everyone gets their inspiration from different places, so I can't really tell you how to get out of that creative block. Uh, don't overthink it, and don't feel you have to be fancy with everything, and just work on the stuff that you love and try to incorporate that more into your sets. Um, so yeah, that's that. If you want to ask me more about this, please do hit me back on IG. If you see this video or listen to the podcast, uh, go back to the topic or just send me a DM and let's talk about it. So since we're on the subject and I just talked about how I like to incorporate turntablism into my sets, I see a question that has to do with that. And the question is, is one turntable enough to learn how to scratch? And what do you think about a controller turntable combination? So the answer is yes, most definitely. Now, if you only have a controller right now, you can learn how to scratch on that controller as well. That's true, especially when it comes to basic scratches. You can learn those scratches on any controller. Now, if we're talking about turntablism and you want to go into more advanced techniques and want to actually get a real feel for it and emphasis on that word feel, then a turntable is the only way to go. Um, the reason is the moving platter, of course. That moving platter is going to add something to the scratches. It's going to trigger muscle memory, and it's going to help you in a way that allows you to also play on controllers better than if you only practice on controllers. And I've seen this, these comments many times when I did videos with controllers, people telling me like, I have that controller. How are you able to do that? That is because I was schooled on turntables. I, I taught how, myself how to scratch on turntables. That feeling is always with me. So even if I use a controller, I still apply that and it helps. Now, if you just want to practice scratching techniques and you have a controller right now, um, you can start with that, but you can add one turntable and then practice with that turntable. You can practice both hands. You can have the turntable on one side, work with your right hand, on the platter um, and left hand on the fader. You can move it to the other side, have your left hand on the platter, right hand on the fader, and that will help you out a lot. You have a lot of different controllers out now that will allow you to plug in turntables, have extra channels for those turntables. So yes, you can use one turntable, and yes, you can go for the controller turntable combo. Rock that. Now, of course, do keep in mind, you can also, if you don't have a controller yet, look for a controller with moving platters. That will offer you that turntable feel, but you can still work it as a controller. So that is an option. Now, this next question, I think, is more catering towards the uh, mobile DJs. The question is about sound mixers. So the question basically is, sound mixers, what purpose do they serve, and how do you use them? For example, two, four, eight-channel external mixers. 
is it necessary to have one for every gig? So I'm assuming that you're not talking about the DJ mixer, the mixer that's gonna be in between your decks, or if you're using a controller, the mixer is just part of the controller. If we're talking about an external mixer, that is the mixer that's most likely gonna be connected to the speakers and everything like that. Um, that doesn't apply to club DJs. You're only playing on the actual DJ set. You're not doing anything with other mixers. There's gonna be a PA system and an engineer that's using that and making sure everything sounds right. Uh, if you're a mobile DJ, wedding DJ, and you're bringing all of your own equipment, most likely you're gonna be using some kind of sound mixer as well uh, and have everything connected to that, especially if you're using more than two speakers. If you have a DJ mixer, it has outputs but most likely you're gonna have one master output that you could connect to two active speakers. That's not enough. I see mobile DJs, I see your setups. You have like at least two or maybe four like setups where you have like your woofer and the tweeters and I think most likely you need more than two outputs to connect everything. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I see with certain setups. Now, if you need that, then an external mixer is probably gonna be a good, a good idea. It doesn't have to be like a crazy big one. You just connect your DJ set to that. You could connect your mics to that or to the DJ set. Uh, maybe if there's like extra things going on that they also have like uh, extra musicians or some karaoke thing that's also being done through you, then that mixer is perfect. Uh, I can't really speak on that much more because I'm not in that situation. But if you're playing in clubs, you do not use that extra sound mixer. If you're a mobile DJ, or your wedding DJ, yes, you will most likely have something like that. So the best thing to do if you wanna know more about this is just approach mobile DJ and ask them for advice. All right, so real quick, I see one question, or it's basically a comment here that I wanna talk about for a minute, and it is, thanks for answering my question. After various tries with the PLX, I had to switch to CDJs because a local DJ told me that not only uh, do they skip, but the whole device shakes. Anyways, he told me to go with Technics Grand Slam or something. Uh, good looking out anyway. Um, all right, so here's the thing. You just said after various tries with the PLX, you switched to CDJs because someone told you. Uh, those are two different things. If you tried the PLXs for a couple of times, did you experience any of that? Were they shaky? Did they skip? Because if that's not the case, then why would you just listen to a DJ who tells you that? And this is someone on CDJs, and you have a lot of people on CDJs who like to talk crap about turntables because they're so used to their safe CDJ. Yes, a turntable can skip, that's any turntable. We could take Technics, Vestax, Stanton, Newmark, you name it, Reloop, uh, Pioneer, Denon, all turntables that have like a tone arm and a needle on a piece of vinyl can skip depending on the situation. If it's like a steady stage or not, you name it, that could happen. It doesn't happen a lot if you have that steady stage, but it can happen. Uh, the shaky part, I don't know what that exactly means. And again, did you experience anything like that when you tried them out various times? If not, don't just listen to what some DJ tells you. Um, Technics Grand Slam means nothing to me, so I'm not sure what that means. And, uh, if that DJ first told you to switch to CDJs, why did he also tell you to switch to Technics? So that's kind of confusing to me. If you're listening to the podcast, please let me know. Give me some more info so we can talk about this some more. 
All right, so one more question about scratching, and the question is, how do I become a professional DJ in terms of scratching in Serato DJ or Scratch Live, and what are their settings? Because I'm confused in terms of pure scratch as a pro DJ. All right, now, first of all, if you do not have Scratch Live or Serato DJ yet, most likely you're gonna get Serato DJ because Scratch Live isn't really being supported by Serato anymore. Now, if you can find a second hand like SL1, it comes with Serato Scratch Live. You can still use that. Um, I'm not going to go through settings right here. Uh, that takes up a lot. You can check out my Serato Scratch Live tutorial on YouTube, BJTLM TV. I talk about everything like connecting the players, you name it. Um, the one thing to keep in mind is you want to make sure that your uh, buffer latency setting is set to the lowest or at least low. So the lower you have it, uh, the lower the latency is, meaning that the scratches are going to be tighter. That takes up a little bit more computing power, but the scratches are going to be tighter. That's all I can really say about that right now. Um, as far as how you become a professional in scratching with any type of software or hardware, it is all about practice. You have to start with the fundamentals. Check out my scratch tutorial series on YouTube once again. Uh, start with the fundamentals and practice until you master those and then take it up a notch every time learning new techniques. There's so many scratch techniques out there, but it all starts with the basics. Go through the basics and practice them over and over and over and over and over again. That's it. So for the last topic of episode one, season two of Share the Knowledge, I want to talk about nervousness. And the question right here is, I know gigs will always give me some sort of pregame jitters. Sometimes I'll let trying to be a perfectionist stress me out to the point where I won't enjoy a gig as much. How can I stop taking myself so seriously and avoid overstressing myself? Now. It can definitely be a fact that you will always have some sort of pre-game jitters. I understand what you're talking about. I mean, it doesn't have to be like real intense, but for certain DJs, it's just always just a little bit of nerves right before you go on. I don't know how long you've been playing, so maybe at a certain point it will go away. I don't really have that feeling a lot unless uh, when I'm out of my comfort zone, then I do have a little bit of just an uncomfortable feeling, and that's basically because you're not in your comfort zone. Now, what I mean by that is, if I'm playing a gig that is not about the normal music that I play, so I'm doing something different that I'm not used to, that's a little bit out of the comfort zone. If I'm playing at a party where I have totally no idea what the crowd is into, yeah, that's not totally out of my comfort zone if I do know what type of party it is, uh, but still, you are going a little bit and in, jumping into the deep because you don't know what to expect, but I mean, that's not real nervousness, but I do feel and think about that, especially if I have to wait longer before I can go on. I start to feel a little bit, and of course, like I said in the beginning, I've been doing shows with Brain Power for 20 years, and we've done shows for 100 people, 1,000 people, 50,000 people, all sorts of crowds. And with some of those shows, you're waiting, like you have to wait like 15 minutes right behind the stage because the production for some of these events is big. It's like televised and everything. You got like 20,000 people in the arena. Uh, they wanna make sure that the artists are gonna be there on time. So they'll have you waiting behind the stage, like I said, for like 15 minutes. Then you do start to feel some sort of nerves because I hate waiting. I just wanna 
go out there and uh, get busy. Sometimes you can, and when you're waiting, you can get a little bit nervous. Now, my most important advice to people who get nervous, especially if you're a beginner DJ, um, you're not that used to doing gigs yet, is don't worry about making mistakes. That's number one. If you can let that stress of making a mistake go, that takes away a lot. Because that in the beginning had me worried a couple of times. Like you were worried that your transition was not gonna sound that good. And then you're starting to focus on the wrong things instead of just focusing on what you're supposed to be doing at that time. So once you can get can let go of the fact that a mistake can happen, probably will happen, that takes some stress away. Next thing is, if you are at the point that you actually know how to DJ, you've been practicing and practicing and practicing, and you've done plenty of successful mixes, then you should try to start to rely on your capabilities. Know that you know what you're supposed to do because you've been practicing for this for a long time. Now, mind you, if it's your first gig in front of people, I understand that's a totally different situation. If you've only practiced in your bedroom, yes, it is something totally dif different to play in front of people. But if you've played in front of people before, you know that feeling, you should start to really trust yourself a little bit more. So. Know that you probably will make a mistake. It could be like a small mistake, but you know it. Don't worry about that. Most of the times, the crowd doesn't even notice the mistakes that you will notice. So if your EQ wasn't perfect and you're like, ah, I started it too late, you heard that. 99% of the crowd did not hear that. And the 1% who did hear, they probably don't even mind either. Now, even if you train wreck and your transition is totally off and wrong, trust me, one song later, the crowd is not thinking about that transition anymore. So you continue on and don't get stuck with that mistake because that mistake can happen. It's your duty just to rock that crowd again. So if you messed up a mix, just play a track they like and they'll be good. They'll continue to dance, have fun. Um, I understand, like, especially in the beginning, you want to do things right, but being a perfectionist can really be like an obstacle. So you're basically your own worst enemy, and you know that. That's what you're already telling me. So I hope you can find ways to start trusting yourself and not worry too much about mistakes. Why are you worried about things not being perfect? Is it that you're worried about how others might view that? Because if that's the case, really let it go, because what they think of it doesn't really matter. Now, if it's the promoter or the club owner that you're worried about that they're gonna hear a mistake, they're not looking at that one mistake. They're seeing if you're actually rocking that crowd. Is the crowd having a good time? Are they dancing? Are drinks being sold? People having fun? That's gonna be way more important to them than hearing that your transition of track three to four wasn't perfect. So let that go that's gonna take away so much stress so i hope for you that you're gonna end up in a situation where you can actually let that go keep practicing at home trust on your skills and just go for it man uh that's where i'm gonna end episode one of season two of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I wanna thank everyone for tuning in. If you're watching one of my video clips on YouTube, thanks for tuning in as well. Uh, subscribe to my channel, check me out on Instagram, that is the best place to follow me. Check me out on Facebook, check out the Share the Knowledge group on Facebook.